This is Waddle and Sylvie on the new home of the Chicago Bears, ESPN Chicago, WMVP, WSHE, HD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. All right, we had uh, some good calls on uh, Justin Fields and his production. Talk about uh, production, not talking catsy, not talking excuses, not talking about drafting a quarterback or not. Was the production up to par? When I said not comparing quarterbacks, of course you can use other quarterbacks in the league as context. I, I think the comparison to Lamar Jackson is silly. Again, like any comparison with Justin Fields to Lamar Jackson, anyone who tells you that he's Lamar Jackson, I think it's complete silliness. Again, when Lamar has in his second year threw 36 touchdowns, Justin has thrown 39 in his career. How are we even talking about Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields as a quarterback in the same sentence? They're not close to being the same guy. Um, and again, like... Um, you know, Atlanta uh, tried to reclamate um, Marcus Mariota. I looked at the first three years of Marcus Mariota in Tennessee. Do that. Pull up his first three years and compare him to Justin Fields from from passing. Like Marcus Mariota had a thirty six hundred yard passing season um, with with touchdowns in the mid twenties and and rushing yards. Not like Justin, but. A multi-dimensional quarterback. Like, if Justin had more production, there'd be less conversation about this. It's not being a hater. The term hater in 2023 going into 2024 is used too loosely when someone doesn't agree with your point of view. Um, let's bring in Courtney Cronin right now. She's brought to you by Purple Wave Auction. Courtney, how are you feeling today? I'm good. I'm tired. It's been a long couple of days hosting the morning show and then, you know, doing double duty up at Bears. But it's, um, you know, finish lines in sight here with week 18 around the corner. So I feel good. I feel good in that sense. And I want to say to like your point on Lamar and Justin, we, we were talking about this like on Unsportsman like this morning. If you're going to put him in the same sentence, it's got to be used. And I mean this in a respectful way, but it's like, a knockoff version of Lamar Jackson, just because you have two guys in the league, Sylvie, who can do what they do, who are as dynamic, you know, playmakers, broken plays, can can scramble and get out of the pocket and make plays on the run. Justin can do that. Lamar can do that. You won't find too many other quarterbacks who can do that. But Lamar Jackson was a unanimous MVP. That season you mentioned where he, you know, threw 39, 39 touchdowns the 2019 year, like, until Justin gets anywhere close to that level, it's got to be used as a loose comparison for skill set only, not for actual production. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, the the splash plays are awesome. Like, I think you could make a great video. And, and uh, you, like, they're all, like, it keeps you coming back for more. I just want more consistent play quarters one through four during an entire game. Yeah, and that's that's where he's he struggled. I mean, have have we seen Justin Fields put together a complete game this season? Maybe once or twice, and that's about it. I mean, you can go to that Detroit game, and even then, there were moments where, you know, you know, the end of half situations. The same thing with Arizona. They they had their moments. Fields had his moments, but even he left unsatisfied. I mean, he mentioned that today that 
you know, 27 points, his goal is 28 a game. And that's, that's, that's reasonable. Like, you can't beat teams consistently in this league by scoring less than four touchdowns. And I, I felt like that was his way of saying that there's still a ton of work to be done for himself in terms of the production. The fact that this franchise has never had a 4,000-yard passer I think speaks volumes to not just the quarterbacks they're bringing in, but the people that they are tasking with developing the quarterback talent the scheme, the whole thing, it all goes hand in hand. But it is, when you take a look at his numbers, it's pretty alarming that you know you don't have that many consistent 300-yard passing games. And the argument where Lamar comes in here, what I've heard people say is that, well, Lamar can win where he may have a 200-yard passing game, 100 yards rushing. He can do it in, in multiple ways. He doesn't have to have a 300-yard passing game. Well, Lamar has more 300-yard passing games than Justin Field does throughout his career, and he's been able to get it done both ways. Until you can consistently see Fields do both and do both at a higher level than what he's done, right. like then that's not being a hater. That's just looking at a lack of production and realizing it's just not enough firepower. Right. To power any offense. Right, right. Like someone, someone of course, in my mentions just says, I see you're not a fan of the dual threat quarterback. I love That's a dual true. threat. I love the dual threat quarterback. Like the more you can do, the better. I want part of the dual threat him to be better at. I want him to be better at using his arm. He's great at using the legs, and that's awesome. I'd rather have a quarterback be good at both. I don't think he's good enough in one of the areas to be considered dual because I don't think he throws the ball well enough. I don't think his numbers in the fourth quarter justify him. Like, right now, he's he's just running. He, You know what I mean? Like, I want him to be a more productive thrower so he can be a, a productive dual-threat quarterback. And that's the hard part that the Bears have to sort through as they go through this multifaceted, you know, evaluation process when they figure out what they're doing at quarterback next year. Um, a, a league source I talked to the other day when we were talking about the Cardinals game and trying to figure out, okay, like what what is this? Because you have a good first half from Justin. What was it like? Oh, you know, a hundred and a hundred and fifteen, hundred and twenty yards passing, but then he has thirty five yards passing in the second half. You're not gonna win a lot of games when you have that big of a drop off, when teams are able to take away, you know, your arm as a weapon, regardless of what the rushing stats say. I thought it was against a bad team, which they should have beaten by a lot more than, than they did. Um, he was able to find a workaround for that in the second half. Against good teams, you're not going to be able to do that when they make you one-dimensional. And it's being able to find the multi-dimension within his skill set to keep that up at a consistent level, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. And even Eberflus yesterday, when he, say, when he talked about the downfield passing game, which I felt maybe it's the last couple of weeks, but really yesterday – I won't say that they're veiled shots at play calling, but also, you know, within the quarterback, but this is probably the most the most transparent you're gonna get from the head coach of the Chicago Bears right now on how he really feels about the production of the offense, the things that have gone right, the things that have gone wrong. And when you're twenty seventh, you know, in yards, it's just it's not good enough. It, it, the passing game is not good enough. The production in three years is not where it needs to be, and that's like take take the blame game aside. It's just it's a simple fact that it's not good enough right now, and that's something that they have to weigh when they're considering: Do you continue to build around this quarterback, or do you go a different direction with someone you believe who can consistently have that production that Justin has lacked on a consistent basis? 
All right, a week ago when we talked, Courtney, um, you told us and you scared me when you said that I think it was that Eberflus was at 45% coming back. Um, now, with and he sounded very confident yesterday, he went into like more detail about the off-season evaluation of Justin in yesterday's conversation with us. Um mm-hmm. Would you up that higher than 45%? I'll keep it where it's at for now because here's the thing. And anybody who tells you differently doesn't have a pulse on it because nobody knows what Kevin Warren is going to do at this point. Because at the end of the day, if it's right, we all feel, you, me, others, a closest situation feel that Ryan Poles is going to be back and going to be part of the process of what happens on the Monday after week 18. That's a decision, though, that he's not making on his own. And for Kevin Warren to have sat back so quietly and, like, evaluated this whole thing, no one knows what his thinking is. Like, is he coming in the Monday after and blowing the whole thing up? It's so hard to get a read on that, which is why, you know, we honestly – what I was looking at it when I told you in, in, in Waddle that last week, I'm looking at it based on logic. If the guy wins out, if they go 8-9 and nine after a 3-14 and 14 season, it's year two of the rebuild – People inside Hallis Hall, the ones who were never banging the drum that it was going to be worst to first this season, then I feel like that checks the boxes of what they've asked Eberflus to do. And that makes it an incredibly difficult situation if they ended up parting ways with him after week 18, if this team wins, what is it, six of their last eight games, something along those lines. Like that's, that's tough, but... I, until we find out what Kevin Warren's thinking, which you won't know until we see what the decision is, like if he views this as a clean house project, then then the whole staff is gone. And I honestly don't know if we're going to get a feel for that until stuff starts leaking out the final couple days of the regular season from Hallis Hall and, put, and potentially, you know, what happens on that Sunday after the Green Bay game. But it's it's such a hard read to get because – when you hear Eberflus, and I heard him with you and Dion yesterday, along with you know what he said at Hallis, like that doesn't sound like a coach who's on his you know on his final days of, right. of his tenure here. You know what I mean? Did you I, take it that way? No, I texted the group, um, Courtney, when I, I said yesterday afterwards, and Waddle and Meller weren't here, so I and and Danny was off too, so I wanted to share it with them. I said hot take, you know, so it was it was sort of like um, tongue in cheek, but. I said, hot take, Eberflus was more relaxed with us yesterday than I ever thought he was. And the way he was talking in grand detail about evaluation, I think he's coming back. Like, the way he was talking just seemed a little different. He was more at ease yesterday, kind of admitting where some things need to be better, talking about the evaluation process, seemed really relaxed. He seemed a little different yesterday. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of I'm I'm with you on that because the way that you know he's not talking in these platitudes of you know kind of talking himself into a circle and not really giving you much. I I view it the same that somebody who's who knows that they at least like is giving off the perception that they will be making those decisions at the end of the year. Like last week when he talked about Luke Getzey and he made the comment he's like I you know I love Luke and love him as a leader really wouldn't get into much of his play calling or or how he felt he's done adjusting in games that's a different attitude than what you heard yesterday we've got to be better in short yardage situations and 
you know, calling out the fact that you need your staple play, whether it's, you know, the tush push or, or, you know, being multiple in those moments, but that they haven't been successful there. And then the downfield passing game, it makes me think he's giving us clues as to, okay, this is what I'm evaluating because it's going to end up being him making the decision or really the call on the offensive coordinator spot. So it's, I'm with you there. I feel like the tone the tone has shifted uh, the last couple of weeks to where he's willing to go down that path a little bit more and, and might have shown us a little bit more into, into at least how he views his future if he feels like he's safe in week 18 so so and this is this is a premature conversation if they if he does stay and they get rid of getsy can they hire a good oc or is this the perfect job for someone like frank reich who they were teamed together in indianapolis and and he just goes gets gets the guy who employed him as his dc and now the roles are reversed it should be a hot destination. Like, let's say the staff stays as is in terms of, like, you know, Eberflus and Ryan Poles and that they do have an opening on the offensive staff for a coordinator. Like, this should be a big draw for the Eric B. Enemies of the world, Frank Reich, of course, the connection he has to Matt Eberflus. And I, and I think he got a raw deal with what happened in Carolina. I think most people are going to look at that and say that's not, in it, that's not necessarily um, indicative of his, develop, of his ability to develop quarterbacks. Um, you do wonder how many more shots he's going to get because, you know, it happened in Indianapolis the way that it did. Obviously, that was a crappy situation where, you know, what he inherited and how he had to work through that. If he gets to come in and they have a new quarterback, then that's a situation that's going to draw a lot of interest. And it might not even just be those two. Those are the big names. But for people who have been in that coordinator role before and are veterans at it, I think that Chicago – if you know if it if the structure stayed in place elsewhere would be a really attractive opening because you'd probably get carte blanche to do what you want at that position knowing that they if they made the if they make the change at Luke Getzi they're probably probably making the change at the quarterback position too you don't feel that um that Eberflus um like if things go poorly that he could have a short leash though and that maybe an offensive coordinator would want to go somewhere else because they could have a longer stay in a, in a different environment. I don't think that if things go, I think if things go poorly for Eberflus, then we we're talking about a very different conversation come week 18. I think there's a lot riding on the fact that this team, they cannot fall off. I meant like next year, like, like the draw for the OC, if he does stay and, and like you're saying, it's a hot job. Like you don't think that a, an OC would, would question coming here because uh, who knows how long Eberflus could be here for. I think if he stays, then he, then whoever this new coordinator would be in theory, they're hitching their wagon to whoever the, the next quarterback would be. Um, I think that that's a big part of it, that you're talking about somebody like you want to time, you want to make sure that the structure of the contracts are timed up and, right. and the timelines are the same, because that's a, that's a tough spot for flus to be in because that, that follows the old way of thinking, right? right. Like the, exactly. you know, everything from the John Foxes to the Matt Nagy's to where you've got these, these coaches who have come in and been assigned to a quarterback more or less. Um, and that's not the way that like, if there's one 
facet that they need to break in this chain that has weighed them down for so many years, it's got to be that element. You let your head coach, you let your offensive coordinator, you let everybody who's going to be doing the on-field part next year, you let them have a say in the quarterback. And if it's not Justin Fields, then they've got to all be, you know, on the same page about who it's going to be because their their path here in Chicago is going to be lined up with whoever is going to be the quarterback next year. Like there's no way there's no way that like uh, it, it would undo so much progress and so much goodwill that this organization has garnered at least on the surface level the last year with all the changes that they've made in terms of the structure of this organization if they were to go and repeat the exact same cycle that they've been doing for, you know, decades at this point. Oh, right. That's what that's what worries me the most. All right, um so uh and I heard you talk about this too when you were hosting um, if the Bulls keep winning and Zach does get healthy, what do you do? Oh, man. Um, how do you bring him back? Like, Did you see Drummond's quote today? What did he say today? I, I know he talked yesterday about how he's still a starter, but what did I he say today? It was about being a backup and – you know, his role as a backup, and it was something along the lines from Casey Johnson that, like, it's not hard to be a good teammate. Right. Who's that directed at? <laughs> you Who's think it's directed? at Zach? I mean, I'm just saying, you're putting that out there. You've got somebody who demanded a trade who has not been available. The team's won nine of their last 13 without him. I don't know how you incorporate him back into the fold with how good the team's playing because you, you risk – wrecking the chemistry of what they've built. Um, at this point, I don't know where he goes. I really don't. I know we, you and I have floated the idea that the Lakers might be an option for him. I mean, my, my goodness, the last couple of weeks for them, they've been in free fall. Um, they lose the Christmas Day game to Boston. They need another shooter. It, you know, what is his role there? Like, can, can he, is he okay going to a place and being, you know, the fourth best player on the team, the guy who's getting the fourth, you know, who's fourth in terms of points per night? I don't know. That's an 80 and LeBron team. So I have a hard time with the thought of incorporating him back in here. I, I don't know how that's possible, but what I do know is that they've been a fun team to watch and watching them close out Atlanta last night and seeing how they've been able to do that consistently. Like this was a team last year where we could, you know, games on in the third quarter and I can already put in are up and I can already predict the fourth quarter collapse. Like I'm, I'm glad that they've rid themselves of that, that identity because that was that was a big part of what screwed them over last year and I'm glad to see that that's gone. Did you see the video of uh Damar and Billy Donovan walking off the court where they gave each other like first a high five and then they put their arm around each other walking off the court arm in arm how happy they were together like you've never seen that with Zach Levine and Billy Donovan how much they have not been on the same page. And it's just like he's been so behind the scenes lately, and I get it. Like, he's an injured player after requesting a trade. Like, they've – I think that's kind of by design. And you don't want to be out drawing headlines, drawing attention to yourself while you're supposed to be trying to get back, you know, into into the fold. And, and I know that, you know, there was a shoot, there was shoot around on Saturday. There were reporters there, and pe- some people were taking video of Zach working out, and I'm sure Clutch Sports probably had something to do with this, but – um, one of the PR people came over and said, Hey, hey, Zach's just, you know, are you, just don't post that stuff. Very clearly, he's trying to go under the radar here in terms of, you know, his rehab process, trying to get himself back right. Because, I, and this is obviously from like my perspective of it as a fan, not somebody who covers the Bulls, but reading the tea leaves here, 
I'm not so sure that the locker room hasn't hasn't moved on. Doesn't it not feel like that the way that they've played? Usually, oh, if you're missing sure. a quote unquote star player, the chemistry struggles. Like imagine DJ Moore, like at this ankle injury. Thank goodness for his sake. Like he wasn't on the injury report um, today. He practiced. He he was fine. Imagine DJ Moore being taken out of the Bears locker room. What happens to that offense? What happens to the team? You lose your best player, you lose some games. Um, that's not the case with the Bulls, and, and obviously two different sports. But the analogy I think remains the same, and, and it's you know it's, it's it's telling of how successful they've been able to be in his absence. Kobe White does not develop if, if Zach Levine is still on the court. There's the no doubt in my that mind. He's had he's been a star in yeah. November and December and I'm here to I'm here for it like it's me, been so fun watching him like it, it feels like it's fine he finally got it you know what I mean like there sure. was just like finally that moment of reckoning for him after all these years where he gets to be the alpha out there he doesn't have to play second fiddle to sack right right and he doesn't have to worry if he's taking exact shots away uh, what's your uh, so after the Bears game what are your New Year's Eve plans <laughs> I will be at Fox on a Sunday night. A little Sports final Zone. word action for you, huh? Yeah, it'll be, you know, it's been a, it's been like two weeks since we've done Sports Zone, and then I've got to be up to host radio on uh, Monday morning at 5 a.m. So oh, wow. Wild, wild New Year's Eve going to bed probably <laughs> by 11 o'clock. But honestly, I haven't gone out in Chicago on New Year's. Granted, I've lived a lot of different places in between, but my last time, was 2012. I was at Red Ivy. Do you remember that place? I was sure. on Clark Street near yeah. Wrigley. I do. I do. Oh, and I don't know. I don't know what happened to it. I think I bulldozed. I had, you know, it was my first year out of college. We, we, you know, went out. We bought tickets. We got a table. I left. My, I had a Chanel bag that I got from my mom. It was a vintage Chanel bag. Expensive. I left it on the table oh, at no. this bar. You know what they stole instead of the Chanel bag? They stole my iPhone. Somebody came up and stole it. So I remember that was my one time in Chicago, like on New Year's Eve. And I was so miffed that they couldn't even understand good fashion to take something that was a <laughs> priceless, incredibly valuable accessory. Yet you took my $400 iPhone, iPhone 5 or whatever the hell it was at the time. Like, that's my lasting memory of going out here on New Year's Eve a decade ago. Um, Nobody at Red yeah, I will be in bed Nobody understands good fashion here, damn it. You took the iPhone and not the Chanel bag. I remember like go like when I finally got back to um because I was living in Indianapolis at the time, so I was I was interning at the NCAA and I remember finally getting back to my car. I had no phone. Um and what by the time I was able to do to find my iPhone and track it, it was way the hell somewhere I wasn't gonna be going to retrieve it. Of course. Um and I remember going back to up to Glenview to talk to my mom, and I was like, can you believe they stole my iPhone and not this bag? Like, just the nerve of people. Like, how insulting. <laughs> that's awesome. That's my dad's my North Shore snobbing me. I'm sorry, I can't help it. Take. But that's, a, that's good that at least you got to keep the bag. Yeah, thank God. I, I still have it. I wore it out the other night. So, I mean, it's a timeless <laughs> accessory. Some people just don't have taste. That's awesome. Courtney, you're the best. Happy New Year. <laughs> Thanks, Sylvie. Take care. All right. We'll talk to Courtney, too, on Sunday uh, for the pregame show at Soldier Field. If you're going to the game, come out and see us. We're inside Gato on the Dr. Pepper stage. Uh, phones are hopping. We will take your phone calls coming up next. Ah, commuting in Chicago. Ah. If you're stuck, stick with Waddle and Sylvie. Weekdays 2 to 6. 
let's take some calls. It's been a good conversation about production. Justin Fields, Charlie, the Chuck Wagon is in. So is uh, Tyler Aki flying solo today. Waddle will be back on Friday. Um, Jesse will be in with me tomorrow. I'm uh, going to be hopefully back in the studio tomorrow. I think this is finally starting to break. I think. Fingers crossed here. Are you using the onions tonight? I mean, do you really believe that's going to no, work? I don't, I don't think you should. I don't even know if we have onions. I do love onions. It seems like Are a you? great way to get some sort of fungus on your feet. Yeah, my, I haven't showered in two days either. Someone noticed how dirty my feet look, too. I think that when, 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 what day is today? Today's Wednesday? Today's Wednesday. What, what, what day was Christmas? Monday. Monday? Yeah. I showered Monday, and then I have not showered since. Is that Barbarian. bad? Yeah, huh? Barbarian over there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of <laughs> gross. The hair still looks good, it? Sylvie. Huh? The hair still looks good. Does it? Yeah. I mean, it's greasy, quite greasy. I kind of stink. I was going to shower before the show. Then it kind of time got away from me. Um, I was going to shower after the show. I think I may, I may, I may go marathon, and um, I may, I may try and stick it out till tomorrow morning. Danny would be proud, right? Doesn't he not shower or something like that? <laughs> Who doesn't shower? Danny Zetterman. Yeah, I feel like I've heard something about he has like he has but a controversial Danny's, take on showers. Danny's anti-showering. No, I'm, like we talked about it a lot during COVID. Like there were there were uh, several days during COVID where I would not shower and Waddle wouldn't believe it. And I, I like I, I I tried to set records. And, and what was he the longest would, you went? Three or four days, I think. Three or four days. I think you should come in here and just drop a stink bomb on Jesse. Don't shower. Come to work so? tomorrow. Yep. Just get in the fishbowl with him here. No deodorant either. Should no I not deodorant. put on an extra layer? No brush nope. teeth. Oh, well, you got to brush your teeth. Yeah, I couldn't teeth, stand right? my. Well, yeah. I got to live with that. I mean, <laughs> we'll draw the line at you. That's true. That impacts you yeah, as well. We'll, do, we'll we'll draw yes. the line at brushing the teeth. I'm a three. I'm a three. Uh, three brush per day guy usually. Oh wow. And, yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm a big um, I'm a big mouthwash guy too because you know when you do this, you're you're talking, your mouth gets dry, you get yeah, gross. You need it, yeah, you can't stand yourself. You know, I mean. It's tough enough to live with me. You know what it's like to live with me? It sucks. So it's hard enough to tolerate myself. I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell by the way your kids run around with you, though. What do you like, mean? Like they, they, well, when we were at Bub City for the holiday party, when they walk in, they don't, they don't walk into a building. They sprint to you. They, and I think I've seen some pictures too and videos of them at like Bears games. They'll sprint to you. Yeah, they're fired up during pregame. Oh yeah, like like uh, they like, like look. I'm not a bad dad. I'm just saying like life with you. Just said like, it, it's tough to live with you. No, no, I meant me living with me. Oh, okay. me living gotcha. with me is no fun. You know what I mean? Me gotcha. being in my own head—that's no joy. That's not an easy existence, Tyler. Is what I'm saying. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, but but no, I'm like I, I love being a dad, and and I think I think I'm do a, a fairly decent job. But me living with me in my own head. That's not so good. That's where we find issues. Yeah, yes. All right, should we take some of these costs before I lay down on the couch? Uh, where, where where should we go first? Should I, I just start at the top here? Let's start with Matt and Streamwood. He's okay. been very oh, patient good. lately. Matt, Matt's one of the most polite callers, 
one of the most loyal Bears fans I know. He gets very emotional about the Bears. What's <laughs> what's up, Matt? Hey, Sylvie. Happy holidays to you. Thanks for taking you my too. phone call. You got it. Sylvie, I know you're talking about Eberflus and that, you know, I, I do agree with you after I heard his interview with you. I do think he knows he's coming back. And that I just say, I think Ryan Poles has done more for Eberflus than he's done for Justin in regards to giving him the development. And he gave Eberflus, uh, was given, you know, he got Ngakwe and he got Walker and he had, you know, uh, was it Ryan, was that guy, uh, Robert Quinn from last year? And that, Eberflus did nothing with them for all those defensive ends. They had Dominique Robinson, you know, who they drafted, and they did nothing. Until they traded for Montez Sweat, did we really see Eberflus' defense starting to come together because Montez Sweat is making everybody better. Jalen Johnson and Eddie Jackson and, you know, the linebackers, Edmonds and Edwards, they're, they're all starting to come together because of Montez Sweat. And so what I'm saying is, is Sylvia, is that I just don't think Ryan Poles, the only thing that he's really done for Justin Fields is that he traded for Chase Claypool who was not really, you know, a wide receiver, too. He wasn't even a wide receiver. What about D.J. Moore? I know, and I understand that, Sylvie, but when he traded for Carolina, he wasn't even intentioned to get D.J. Moore. He wanted Brian Burns, right? And then they said no, and then he said, well, I want three number one picks, and they said, no, we'll give you D.J. Moore. So No, 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 I, I, I thought the story went that they wanted to give him another extra first-round pick, and he's like, I don't want the first extra first-round pick. I need D.J. Moore is, is what he had I to thought, get to I get the was, deal done. Okay, but I'm saying he wasn't originally wasn't going for DJ Moore. He wasn't saying like, "Well, I need to get DJ Moore for my Justin Fields." He wasn't getting. His original attention was for Brian Burns on the defense for Eberflus. So I'm saying is that he only really only got basically basically Chase Claypool for Justin. And I know I understand, but he's given Eberflus so many swings at the defensive ends. What he gave him Gakwe and Walker, and he gave him now Montez Sweat, and he had Robert Quinn. And he and only till he got Montez Sweat middle of the season did we really see Eberflus starting to shine. So I just want for Justin, I, I understand, Sylvia, I'm not a justifier, as like Tyler said yesterday. I'm yeah. not a justifier anymore. I'm kind of done with, you know, with a with Justin because, I, like, I agree. This Cleveland game, the past Cleveland game where it was eight three and outs, it's just, it's just enough. I'm just done. We're, this offense needs to do more. And I don't know if it's Justin or if I don't know. I, I don't think we don't have any wide receivers besides DJ Moore. Mooney's not a wide receiver, two or three. We just need some more wide receivers, and we need more tight ends. Besides Cole Komet, I just think if if whoever Eberflus and whoever Ryan Poles want for their quarterback, just surround him besides DJ Moore and Cole Komet. Because as you could see this past game, Sylvie, when those two were not on the field, this offense stalls. You know, there's just no one else reliable. That there's no wide receiver two and there's no tight end two really on this roster besides you know DJ Moore and Cole Komet. Matt, thanks. Enjoy your new year. Okay. You too. Thank you, Sylvie. I like. It, uh, did he mention Darnell Wright? Like they they drafted Darnell Wright. I think he got. We'll see what Braxton Jones is. That's what the million dollar question is. But he got the left tackle Nate Davis. He signed. Um, I know everyone's not thrilled with him, but I think he 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 did stuff for the offense. Um, He's an upgrade but, over what they had last year. Yeah. You yeah. know what else he didn't do? He didn't trade Tevin Jenkins when that right. was the conversation like a year and a half ago. Exactly, and I, I think sometimes. Patience pays. And I, I, I think that worked with a couple of the players on both offense and defense. I think Jalen Johnson was originally in their doghouse and, and he got out of their doghouse from the that that's one thing that I liked about both Eberflus and um Poles from the start is that they took the other regime's players and even when they started in the doghouse 
they got them out of the doghouse and they've made them productive building block players. Cole Komet was another guy that came from Ryan Pace's regime. And they've made and they've paid. And I think you got to compliment yeah, them for that. And people may say, well, then why aren't you going to be patient with Justin? But I think you have been patient with Justin. Think about, how, and again, it's different, cornerback versus quarterback, tackle slash guard versus quarterback. It's different. But those guys, they paid their dividends off very quickly and turned it around. And the patience, sure, it was rewarded, but they did turn it around in a year, year and a half. And it's been a, a two-year project now with Justin. And you're still having questions about certain parts of his game. Should we go to Rod in Glendale Heights? Rod, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Sylvie, how are you? Thanks for taking the call. You got it, Rod. Thanks um, for calling. Sure. So um, my only point, Sylvia, I think is uh, we, we've, we as a fan base have just grown really, really impatient. Um, you could argue the same points we're making about Justin. Some of us started making about Jay Cutler, um, a pro bowler in Denver, and then comes to Chicago, and we're talking about the same exact issues. Uh, in short, I don't think you can evaluate a quarterback the same way you can evaluate a skill position player and talk about immediate production. As a quarterback, production is a cause and effect. Everything has to go right for a quarterback to be able to produce. Uh, players running the right routes, play caller putting them in positions to win, play caller putting them in positions to attack the other team's weakness. Um, it, it's not a fair comparison to just simply sit back and talk about um, you know, look, Justin should have been able to produce more. He's in his third year, going into his fourth year. You know, we just haven't seen the jump. I just don't think it's right. And one thing as a fan base that is, is really hard for us to do, given how just inept our, our offenses have been. Anybody who's been, a, and I'm 48 years old, anybody who's been a Bears fan has watched enough Bears games knows exactly what it looks like. The hardest thing to preach right now is patience, but it's exactly what we need to do. Uh, because to get back in the same cycle again, thinking that the grass is greener on a potential, um, you know, college quarterback coming out that's somehow going to be a savior is just really misguided. There's so many other holes on this team that need to be actually still addressed for this to be a championship caliber team. And you go out and you get yourself a rookie quarterback and you're starting the clock again. And we'll be back here two years again talking about the same excuses when the root cause for why offenses in this city and under this Bears um, really franchise have been inept have never been solved. Don't you think, don't you think, though, let me ask you a question. Don't you think that maybe we were too patient with Jay Cutler? Didn't we wait too long for Jay Cutler? The reason we did that, Sylvie, is because when we were asked a very simple question, we were asked, do we believe that Jay Cutler at the time had reached a ceiling? And I asked the same question for, for, you know, to folks who are impatient with, with, with Justin Fields. Can you honestly look at Justin Fields with his raw talent and his ability and say with full confidence that he reached a ceiling? We no. were hoping the same thing with Jay. Exactly. So we were hoping the same thing with Jay. We were hoping that, man, if we got Jay that young, Jay coming in here, and he elevates. Man, his ceiling is through the roof, and we're, we're a dynasty for years to come if he plays well. We're having the same conversation when, when we drafted Justin and saw that, and, and we continue to see the sparks and the flashes. But, but it was just impatient, and we, we're talking about, again, offensive coordinator position that has not been stable, a play caller that does not how, know how to attack defenses and, and really put 
his team in a consistent position to win when it matters the most. You can blame Justin for fourth quarter. I'm not saying take any blame off of him. But at the same time, you talk about development, and you mentioned Gardner Minshew. You talk, you talk about quarterbacks who all of a sudden look resurrected under coaching that actually puts them in position to win. So my, my point is it's easy for us to lay the blame on Justin and, and look at the next shiny object, but guaranteed, man, We'll be back again here two uh, years I, I, from now. I hope going. not. I, but let, let me ask you this question. Poles was a part of Kansas City when they had a quarterback who threw for 4,000 yards. He had 26 touchdowns and five interceptions. The easy move there would have stayed with a 4,000-yard passer with a 110 quarterback rating. What'd they do? They went with the unproven guy, and they got rid of Alex Smith. So with a, a way more productive quarterback in Alex Smith, they took the chance. A, a team that had not had a quarterback, just like the Bears, they'd have washed up Joe, uh, 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 Joe Montana. They did not have quarterback success. They took the chance on the kid in Mahomes, and sure enough, they scouted him correctly. If Pohl scouts it correctly, why wouldn't you do exactly what they he's done before with the Kansas City Chiefs? I'll, I'll, I'll answer that, Sylvie, because Alex Smith, his ceiling was already defined at that point. And when it's they a pretty good ceiling. Mahomes, if Justin Fields hit that ceiling, I, you would never want to take you. Justin Fields out of town. Hey, listen, I'm with you, Sylvie, but they didn't draft Mahomes number one, did they? They picked him at number ten. If you're telling they me, traded hey, up you for him though from twenty seven. They traded sure, three picks we, for him. Sure, and we could argue that, hey, it would be wise to draft another quarterback. I'm not saying don't draft a quarterback. I, I'm saying draft a quarterback at number one and get rid of Fields, as if that's the answer. I'm not saying don't draft a quarterback. All I'm saying is to, to completely mortgage the franchise for another three years on a rookie quarterback because you think that quarterback is going to be the answer – is absolutely the cycle we've been put through as a fan base year over year over year. You talked about being concerned about the coaching cycle. This is no different, man. Not at all. It's a good call. I, I, I like the uh, I like the back and forth. That's a good call. Thank you. Like I, the reason I don't think it's it's mortgaging your future is you were gifted the the Carolina pick, and yeah, you could turn that in for a lot, but you also have your pick. You also have what you could get for Justin Fields in a second-round pick. You still have Carolina's pick next year in that second-round pick. You still have a ton of cap room. You are not mortgaging anything by simply choosing number one. You're not trading up. You're not turning in a lot of draft picks for this. You're just picking the quarterback at number one. Do you know what would be mortgaging your future is passing on this opportunity and committing to fields and it doesn't work out? Like paying him $40 million and you find yourself in a situation like the Giants in two years. <laughs> Charlie, a lot of people are scarred. Like, so many people are scarred. Like, can you imagine if Indianapolis just passed on Peyton Manning? Like, so many people are scarred by... What they they want to bring up Jamarcus Russell. They want to bring up Mitch Trubisky. They want to bring up all the others. They they don't consider how this could finally change the one hundred plus year history. I mean, Cincinnati couldn't draft a quarterback and until they did, right? Like, right. Then they drafted Here's the Joe other Burrow. like, and you bring up the word scarring there, Sylvie. Like 
We were scarred when the Bears traded a second round pick for Montez Sweat because we saw what it ha- what it turned out right. to be the last time. And, and, and he was. It's a completely different. Sometimes you have to roll the dice again. He's already like I, I, it was a great call, and he's really, really. You could tell he's a really bright Bears fan. He's already got it as a a big loss in two years. He's ready to call in two years without it giving it a shot, just like Wilbon yesterday. 312-332-3776 if you want to weigh in. We'll take more of your calls next. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Waddle and Sylvie. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. This portion of Waddle and Sylvie brought to you by our great friends and partners at Steinhoffels. It's their end of the year sale going on now for Chicagoland locations. I shop at the one in Vernon Hills. Their newest store open in Harwood Heights. Prex is going to get a new big board bed soon. So uh, we're going to be shopping there uh, shortly. Uh, all right, let me take uh, our buddy Tom in Oak Lawn. What's up, Tom? How are you? Uh, what's up, Sylvie? Long-time caller, first-time listener. So uh, You never listen. Now, you're, not, you're probably not even <laughs> listening now. Uh, oh, I, I'm listening, and I'm listening to all these uh, Bears fans out here. Uh, only here in Chicago would we rather have an okay to good quarterback afraid that our defense might regress if we get rid of the head coach and would rather surround a good, okay quarterback instead of drafting uh, a quarterback who has won the Heisman and who 9 out of 10 GMs have said is possibly a generational quarterback. And I understand people want to throw, well, he could end up being like Jamarcus Russell or Ryan Leaf. He could bust out and stuff like that. And there's no guarantee. Well, there's no guarantee that if you surround Justin Fields with more with more weapons, which I thought that's exactly what they did, and more offensive line help, which I thought that's exactly what they did too this year, that he will improve as well, or that this just happens to be who he is, somebody who gives you flashes, who is okay, who you can win some games with, but is not an elite quarterback. And why should we be afraid to try to draft and continue to try to get that elite quarterback just because we haven't had one in our history? We can't be afraid to do that. If you're, if Bears fans are afraid to do that, then do what Stacey King says and go buy a dog. I've got two of them. So. Only if you could, could take care of that dog, though. <laughs> right, Tom? <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Happy New Year. Appreciate your calls. Um, We'll uh, do this again tomorrow starting at 2 o'clock. Jesse's going to be alongside Waddles back on uh, Friday. What bowl game do we have, boys, coming up next? Duke's Mayo Bowl. Duke's in it? West Virginia. Oh, no. USC and West Virginia? UNC. UNC? This is uh, the Mayo Bowl, though. It is, with no Drake May, but it is the Mayo Bowl. Oh, very good. All right, now uh, now I've got clarity on this. All right, so that's coming up next. Thanks to Courtney Cronin and Jeff Joniak and Nick Friedel today for joining us. The Chuck Wagon did a good job for Meller, as always. Love having you in, Charlie. Tyler Aki, as always, job well done. Uh, I'm Sylvie. It's ESPN 1000. Have yourself a great Wednesday night.